You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. <laughs> Everybody's got a price, it's the million dollar man. <laughs> Podcast in demand. Understand. Everybody's got a price, million dollar man. Everybody's got a price, million dollar man. Everybody's got a pod, it's the million dollar What's up, everybody? It's Marcus D'Angelo, and we're back for another episode of Everybody's Got a Pod. And, of course, I'm joined by the million-dollar man, the Hall of Famer, Ted DiBiase. Ted, how you doing, man? Buddy, I'm doing good today. How are you? I'm doing very well, and I think I'm fixing to get better, too, because, Ted, it's my favorite time of month again here on the podcast, something I know that our listeners always look forward to. Uh, you put it out there on your social media, brother, and the fans showed up with literally, no exaggeration, hundreds of questions for oh my gosh. Ask Ted Anything. So incredible, incredible response here for us. Well, um, I, I just want to let our listeners know we will get to as many as we can, but if we miss yours, don't worry. I keep them all, and we're going to roll them over into the next Ask Ted Anything. However, before we get moving here, Ted, uh, I do have to do my usual reminder to our listeners. Get over to YouTube.com forward slash at Everybody's Got a Pod. Go get subscribed. We do giveaways for subscribers. We have clips and highlights from the show. And maybe most exciting, every Monday we drop a YouTube exclusive video. These are stories you will not get on the podcast. You can only find them on YouTube. So if you like what we're doing here, you are going to love our YouTube channel. I can pretty much guarantee it. Again, that's YouTube.com forward slash at Everybody's Got a Pod. Get over there. Get subscribe today all right ted if you're ready we can start to uh jump into these questions let's let's go all right let's get it first up we've got kevin cheadle who asks what was your favorite wrestler that you ever managed ted anybody stick out for you gosh managed uh wow i managed a few i i managed uh was it you know who was in uh who was in money incorporated <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've, got, uh, we've got Sid, we've got Tatanka, um, King Kong Bundy. I want to say uh, Koloff was in there for a little bit, right? Yeah, he was. Uh, who else? Oh, gosh. One, two, three, kid was in there for a hot yeah, minute. Yeah. Steve Austin. Well, yeah. And then, you know, of course, Steve, Steve Austin was there for a while, but obviously, you know, and, and I, I saw that coming. I mean, Steve, you know, obviously Steve Lawson has become a super icon, and I get it. Um, uh, but I, you know, I didn't, I didn't manage him very long. No, it was. A pretty I, and, and, and I, and, and be honest with you, I didn't think I'd be managing very long because I, you know, I could see what the what the guy had, and you know, I just man, this guy's gonna he's gonna shoot to the top. You know, ordinarily managers are kind of reserved for guys who maybe struggle a little bit with promos and need a little extra something. Yeah. That, that was not Steve. Well, and that, that's exactly why I said he, he's not going to be with me long because he don't <laughs> need me. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, among those guys that you've managed, plus, I mean, you were in the NWO. So, I mean, you managed, uh, you know, uh, I think at different times, Hall and Nash and six and you know uh eventually you go on to manage the steiner brothers so any one act or uh or performer stick out for you and why oh, is it gosh, man that, that's that, that's a whole lot of talent but in terms of uh, uh as a manager and as you know like uh probably steve austin but i mean uh, I, I tell you 
I tell you who I had fun managing, Bundy. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's a good guy. He's a he's a fun guy. I mean, obviously not the greatest uh, wrestler in the world, but <laughs> he was a fun guy for sure. And I don't think he needed to be the greatest wrestler in the world. He was just enormous and uh, imposing, and that's kind of all you need to have a guy like that, plus a good mouthpiece, and you you provided that aspect. Well, yeah, and I'll be honest with you, he did pretty good on his own. He did have a pretty decent yeah. promo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he wasn't so. bad. Yeah, it's that's a hard question. I mean, because there's so many guys, it's a plethora of talent, and you know, it's like I, I don't want to pick one and cut some cut, cut somebody else short. You know. Uh, next up, kind of a related question with the manager thing. It's David Hill who asks, "Who is your favorite manager of all time?" Personally, I'm fond of Cornette, but Heenan was great as well. Anybody stick out for you? You, you mean uh, just in general, a manager or somebody who managed me? It can be either one, but really it's just, uh, you know, like a, a guy that you look at and you're like, okay, that is the perfect manager, the best well, I've, I've ever seen. Bobby Heenan. Mm -hmm. Bobby Heenan could do it all. And you you give him a microphone and he, he just let him go. <laughs> he, he was he was really good, in my opinion. And, of course, you know, uh, Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart was a good manager, you know, and, and of course, you know, for a while I had uh, Sherry. And I want to tell you something. Sherry was, Sherry was good. It's, it's kind of like if I was going to have somebody as a manager, I would rather have somebody who I had to grab and kind of pull back in instead of, you know, you got to do more. You know, with Sherry, with, with Sherry, it was, you know, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, it's kind of like, you want to make the special moment special. And if you do too much, you kind of blow it. But I mean, but, uh, but again, you know, as a manager, she did real well. She worked very well with me and, and, uh, and she got plenty of eat. <laughs> you guys had awesome chemistry too. Uh, you, the two of you just kind of like worked really well together. She had like the sparkly kind of outfit on and, uh, you know, you of course were the million dollar man and I don't know, it, just like the whole aesthetic really worked. Plus I always like Sherry because she wasn't afraid to get physical. Oh, exactly. I mean, and listen, and when she, when she was, you know, before, I mean, oh gosh, I, 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 I knew Sherry way, way back. Like when I was first starting, uh, I'm, I'm things. I remember she was down in, she was in Baton Rouge and I can't remember um, obviously when I, when I first met her and I, I'm trying to, th I, I can't even remember, you know, if she was seeing one of the guys or whatever, but, uh, I just, I, I, re I recognized in her a toughness. I mean, Sherry, I mean, I'll be honest with you. She wouldn't take, she wouldn't take crap off anybody. <laughs> I mean, you know, she'd stand up, she, she'd stand up uh, right up to one of the guys if they, if they, if she you know, if they went the wrong way with her. So, and I, I always admired that, you know, good for you, you know? Absolutely. And if I remember right, didn't you induct her into the hall of fame, Ted? Yeah, I think it pretty, is. Pretty yep. awesome. Really awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, next up, we've got Jim James, four, eight, five, four, who asks, I love the match between you and Jimmy Snuka at SummerSlam 89. What was it like to wrestle the Superfly? Wow. You know, it's probably one of the only times I ever wrestled Snooker. Mm. And, uh, yeah, 
and 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 that again, that's a testament to itself. It's kind of like there's a lot of guys, you know, like Jake and I. We wrestled and, and we're in the ring together a, a lot over over time, and so it, it wouldn't be hard. It wouldn't it wouldn't be very hard for us to have a good match because we we know each other so well, mm-hmm. you know. And you, you when you work with somebody long enough. You know, you know what they do good, and you know, and you know, and you know where to go with it. Uh, you know, but uh, you know, in this case, it was like, wow, I don't, you know, uh, you got to kind of feel them out, like in yeah. the ring. Yeah. So. Wow. Anyway. So maybe not like perfect chemistry or anything, but like you know, I, I, like would you say that he was a decent enough performer to get a good match out of? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. No problem. No problem there. Not at all. So, so so I want to ask you about this and you know, there's, there's kind of no easy way to, to ask the question and let me preface it by saying I met Jimmy Snuka a few years uh, before he passed away. Could not have been kinder to me or my brother. Really, really a a, a nice person whenever I met him. However, um, and I'm sure you know where I'm going here. Uh, we heard, we hear recently that he may have been involved in some illicit activity that resulted in the death of a young woman back in the eighties. Um, Ted, did you ever hear anything about that over the years? Uh, and what did you think whenever you did hear about it? Well, you know, you know, it, you know, that story has been around a long time. And I, I, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't know if there's any truth to it. I mean, I'll put it this way. The Jimmy Snook I knew, I, I would say, I, I, I wouldn't, I don't think he'd be capable of doing that. But, you know, uh, things happen in people's lives that change them. Mm-hmm. And it could be that happened in a time in, in Jimmy's life where, you know, may, maybe if it did happen, that it, that it changed him. That, you know, the, real, the realization of what he had done uh, you know what I'm saying? Right. Maybe, maybe changed him as a human being that kind of yeah. made him have a harder look at himself. Yeah. 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 But I don't know. I mean, that story's round and round and round. And I guess there's a whole lot of people that know the absolute truth, but I'm not one of them. That's, uh, I mean, perfect answer, Ted, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. uh, you don't, you only know what you know. And yeah. that's, that's how you knew Jimmy Snooker as a human being. Yeah. Yep. Uh, next up, we've got Jeremy Anderson. In the 1991 Royal Rumble, when you were shaming Virgil and demanding him to put the belt around your waist, someone threw something that hit you in the back. Was it ice? Do you remember uh, this incident? Ted, that's a pretty specific question. Any chance you remember what hit you in the ring? <laughs> well, I'll put it this way. I don't remember anything hitting me in the ring. You were locked you know, so in. If it hit me in, the, if it hit me in the back, and I had that jacket on, I probably, especially if it was ice, I wouldn't even feel it. You know, uh, if it hit me in the back of the head. I, I might have, but I don't know. It's an interesting question uh, that I will narrow down a little bit. Ted, what's the worst thing you have ever been hit with, uh, whether in the ring or at ringside or where? Uh, gosh, I mean, you know, I've been hit with. Uh, you know, people who would take their, uh, whatever they, their drink cup, you know, and leave, and leave, you know, and leave a, a good bit of ice in it mm-hmm. and use the, the cup as projectile. But I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, you know, I never got hit in the head, you know, thank God. And as big as my head is, that's a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I've been hit with a lot of stuff, but it was just, you know. I've heard, uh, like, some of the grosser stuff I've heard over the years is I've heard both uh, Jake and Eric Bischoff talk about people uh, using their spitter for their tobacco and throwing that at you. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And, in some instances, maybe somebody even peed into a cup and threw it at a performer, which I don't know about you. I think I'd be climbing into the audience trying to find that guy if that happened to me. Yeah, well, ditto. Yeah, it would. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's just, you know, and I, you know, and fortunately, fortunately for me, you know, I, I don't know how I seem to avoid that, but I did, you know, not totally, but, you know, it's kind of like, um, the other, the other place where it was tough for us, and, and here's the thing. I remember when I worked for, for Bill Watts, you know, wrestling is show business. And, but he said, you know, especially, he says, we don't want what, baby face or heel. He says, if you go out and you get in a fight in a club, you better win. Because if you don't win, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's uh wow. Okay, so you got to so go there just letting everybody now. know I I never lost a bar fight. I didn't have that many, you know. There was there was just you know, you know the the couple occasions, you know that I did. Um, it was just somebody who was a, just genuinely a, a shithead, you know. And just, you know, you know, running off the mouth, you know, and, and I, I remember one guy, I mean, I, I literally, I mean, uh, I, I picked, I grabbed his, his, his coat and I physically, I mean, it, you know, it, it angered me so much that he was such a pest that I just turned around, I grabbed his jacket and I picked him up and I pressed him against the wall. His feet were dangling, <laughs> just, you know, like. This this far off the ground, wow. and I just, I just cut a promo on him and let him go, and when he hit the ground, he got up running. So, well, it's look. I, I think a lot of people look at you and that you know are like, well, you know, he's an average size guy, but that's because you were standing by like Hogan and Jake and all these really enormous guys. You were what like six five? Yeah, I was I was I was six four, two hundred and sixty pounds. You know that ain't little. No, that is not a man to piss. But me. you're right. Standing next to Andre or Hogan, you know, uh, gosh, yeah. yeah, I've had a lot of people tell me that. Gosh, Ted, I, I, didn't, I didn't think you were that big. You know, uh, not to mention an offensive lineman in college. So yeah, pretty, pretty, yeah. not not a not a dude to piss with. Yeah, well. Um, next up, we've got Chris Eddy with one that made me laugh. Uh, and this is actually a question that I got. I got a similar uh, topic with Jake recently. Uh, was Ted a baby oil guy? Ted, uh, it's a big thing in pro wrestling. Guys will cover themselves in baby oil to show off the muscles. Did you ever do that? No. I hated it. I I, I hated it. And I hate it. It's kind of like Lex, Lex Luger and higher. We're, we're, we're great friends now and we were never enemies, but Lex, man, he, he would put on that baby and, and I get it. I mean, you put on the baby oil and it, 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 it accent, you know, what, what's, you know, what I'm sorry, what's the word? Accentuates. Accentuates. Yeah. You know, your, you know, your physique and everything. 
And, and, but, you know, when you get in the ring and you try to grab a hold of that guy, he's like <laughs> trying to grab a hold of a fish, you know, you can't grab him because he's all greasy. So probably not a good thing in a business where you've got to lift this guy at times, right? To have this guy being yeah. slipping out of your arms. I yeah. mean, that's, it could be yeah. dangerous for him that's and you. <laughs> yeah. And then, then the other reason that I never oiled up is like, I, I never had that great of a body. <laughs> I mean, I looked like an athlete, but you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't look like I just came out of muscle and fitness magazine. You were like chiseled. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I also produced Jeff Jarrett's podcast and on an episode of his show, uh, Conrad asked him, how do you, how would you get the baby oil on yourself? He was like, do you have like a guy backstage that like puts oil on you? And Jeff was like, no, you just like put oil on like a wall and like rub your back on it. <laughs> and Conrad's like, wait a minute. You're telling me there's like a bunch of oil streaks on walls and buildings. Ted, did you ever witness that behavior? No. <laughs> maybe it was just a gif Jerry. no i mean i i would i would venture to guess that you know probably one of the other guys would you know oil up his back and then just go wash their hands i mean you know <laughs> that would be enough for me to not want to get oiled up <laughs> <laughs> i don't need some hairy dude touching me um all right next up we've got curtis Polinen, who asks, if given a chance to main event mania as WWE champion, who would you want your opponent to be? So, Ted, you and I have discussed it before, and I know that uh, you certainly never needed the WWF title or any championship, really. Uh, However, you know, it's it is kind of like a a dream for most guys to main event mania as champion. Uh, If you could pick anybody, who would it be? Oh, gosh, you know, obviously back well, back then, I mean, because, I mean, uh, yeah, one of the obvious choices would be Hogan mm-hmm. because Hogan wasn't the guy. Uh, and, you know, and of course, you know, uh, and, and, and I don't think Hogan gets enough credit. I mean, people say, well, you know, he really wasn't a great wrestler. Okay, he wasn't a great wrestler in terms of hammer locks and wrist locks and all this other stuff and, uh, you know, leg sweep and what have you but what what hogan was very good at was understanding who his character was mm-hmm. and how his character you know here's this great big guy you know and, and kind of like kind of like andre the giant andre the giant was great because andre the giant you go in the ring and in a very believable way get into a place where where the people actually thought he was in danger of losing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's kind of like it would, it would take a while for you to get him off his feet. But once you got him to his knees, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it's, it's all about tell, the way you tell the story. And then, uh, I, like, easily in my mind's eye, I can picture one of those WrestleMania posters with you and Hogan on it. You know, Ted and his money versus Hogan and all of his Hulkamaniacs. Like, I don't know. To me, that I'm, I'm, I'm honestly kind of surprised, uh, thinking back on it, that you never really had that opportunity with Hogan on, you know, in, in a huge pay-per-view main event like that. Well, you know, um, you know, and I guess in an effort to please a lot of people, and of course, I didn't know this for the longest time, but, you know, I, I think when when I came along and I was getting real red hot, uh, it was 
the reason that WrestleMania four went the way it, way it did was to appease Randy Savage. Mm. And I'll be honest with you. I get it. Randy was a great worker and he was a heel and okay. And so now we're going to this WrestleMania and I just come, I just had, I just came along. I started actually physically wrestling for the company. What maybe in June or July of the previous year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so by the time WrestleMania is coming back around, you know, uh, and basically what I did was I was what I was the one that turned Randy babyface. Yep. Because the, the last match ended up him and me. And so, uh, yeah, you know, as it, as it turns out, I never was you know, WWF world champion, but, you know, and again, but here's what I understand about wrestling. It's, 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 it's a story. Mm-hmm. Nobody's really the world champion. Uh, if you're in a movie, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like, <clears throat> but uh, obviously, but not, I'd say this though, whoever is the world champion, whoever carries that belt as a rule needs to be somebody that has the savvy to get in the ring and wrestle anybody and get a match out of them. And say what you want about Hogan. He carried that belt for a long time. So clearly yeah. he had that savvy um, to be able to climb into the ring with folks and, and yeah. have a, have a good match. Yeah. And, and I had, I had, you know, and I, I, I did, I had several matches with him. I, I had a lot of, ma- actually a lot of matches with him and him and Savage and me and Andre or him and somebody else anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, that's the bottom line is I, you know, I, I never got the world title. Well, and again, you know, uh, to appease me, so to speak, that's why I created my own title. And and here's the thing, the million dollar championship, you know, I mean, I carry that thing now and I, and I, there's oh, so many fans. They said that I want to take, I want to take a picture with, with the million dollar belt. And so they do. And so it's kind of like, but. The, the thing that made people hate me back then was I was so arrogant. It was like, I don't need your stinking championship. I'm going to declare myself the champion and you wrestle me for my belt. And it's perfect. And my belt is going to look better and it's going to be more, expen- and more expensive than any other belt in wrestling history. <laughs> it's just good storytelling. And, and it's story. It's, again, it's storytelling. And I mean, I got, you know, what it got me was a whole lot of heat, you know, what a, what an arrogant, la, 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 you know, (laughs) who's he think he is type of, you know, and that was the whole point was to give me heat. And if you're, if you're a a heel, that's what you want to keep your heat. Now, uh, you you want to be able actually, you want to be able to go in the ring, have a match with a guy like Hulk Hogan. And even if you get beat, you keep your heat. Yep. You know, and it's like, and that's, and that was the thing for me. It was like, no matter how many times I wrestled, whoever, you know, uh, you know, pay, people were just going to continue to hate me. And that was the whole idea. And you stayed one of the top heels in the company for nine years. So proof was in the pudding. <laughs> um, did I hear you correctly? Do you bring the million dollar championship? You have your own copy of the million dollar championship. Yeah, I, I have a replica. 
And I, I take it to me to all these autograph signings and man, they just want to take a belt. They want to take a, a picture with the championship belt. Well, there you have it, folks. In case I didn't know that, so I'm guessing a lot of our listeners didn't know that. Go well, ahead I, and, to see and a little history on the now. That's uh, the the belt I have is not the original belt. I have I have a replica. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, and the the, uh, you know, the the WWE. I mean, they 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 sent me two replicas. So I had you know two 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 replicas, and. Uh, uh, so if I wear one out, I still got another one. And if I need to get another one, I can call them and get another one. That's awesome. But, uh, the, the real belt in 1988, when they had that belt made, it's estimated value was $40,000. And they, they actually, they had it insured and I had, but I had to like, when we would go overseas and we would go to England and, and, uh, and stuff, I had to take a declar declaration page you know, I sort of for going through customs, uh, you know, to, you know, like, like what's, what's, what's the value of this thing, you know, and mm -hmm. that's what it was 40 grand today. I have no idea what it would be worth. Six figures. Certainly. The, the, um, the, the belt is it's in the safe in the, in Stanford. Uh, maybe call Vince and see if you can get your hands on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Say, I'll send you this replica. Could you send me the actual belt? <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what's funny is that uh, when I when I had first left the WWE, I got a call from uh, Linda McMahon. Well, first I got a call from somebody in the office. They said, "Ted, well, we need you need for you to send us uh, the million dollar belt." I says, "You have the million dollar belt. It's right there." And I said, "The, the last time I was there." I can't remember where I was. I departed from. I said it, it was right there, and so then um, a couple of days go by, and Linda, I get a personal call from Linda McMahon saying, "Ted, we we really need for you to send us a belt." And I said, "Linda, I said after all you guys have done for me, do you think that I would really try to steal the belt?" I promise you it is there somewhere. So a couple more days go by and uh, it wasn't Linda who called, but somebody else called and said, Ted, just, we just wanted you to know we found the belt. And I said, great. Where was it? And they, the laugh from the other side and they said in the safe. Did anybody think of maybe looking there first? That might be the spot. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's uh, it would be cool if you did wind up having that belt in your possession. But cool if they sent you replicas that now you get to go out there with the fans and have these cool photo ops. So, guys, uh, if Ted is going to be in a city near you, go out of your way. It's a really cool photo op to get to have with the Million Dollar Man himself. Okay, let's take a minute to discuss our fantastic sponsor that is changing the lives of men everywhere. Of course, we are talking about Blue Chew. Are you ready to perform with the confidence of the million-dollar man in the bedroom? Are you ready to leave your partner feeling like a million bucks? Are you ready to get that thing so hard you can go hunting with it? If the answer to all those questions is yes, it's time for you to give Blue Chew a try. Blue Chew can help increase your performance and regain that old confidence where it counts the very most. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. 
You can take them anytime, day or night, so that you can plan ahead or be ready when that opportunity springs up. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part of it, it's all done online. You can forget about those visits to the doctor's office, no more weird, awkward, uncomfortable conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy anymore. It comes right to you. Blue Chew's tablets are made right here in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. But you know the drill, guys. There's not going to be anything discreet about your package. Men everywhere have never been more excited to see their mail carrier arrive because when your package arrives, your package arrives. Listen, I know what your next question is. Will it actually work? Why don't you try it for free and find out for yourself? Something free from the Million Dollar Man? That's right. You can try it right now for free. All you have to do is pay $5 shipping. That's it. Place your order now and give your partner a very pleasant surprise. Women are attracted to confidence, and Blue Chew can help give you confidence where it counts. Don't wait any longer. Time to chew it and do it. Take advantage of our special deal. Again, you can try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code EGAP at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code EGAP, and receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information, and we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring Everybody's Got a Pod. Next up, we've got Billy Misovich, who asks, uh, this is a fun question. Would you have ever participated in a barbed wire match like your mentor, Terry Funk? No. <laughs> no, I never participated in a barbed wire match, and I had no desire to. I mean, I loved Terry Funk. I loved him like a brother. Uh, he was uh, a mentor to me. Uh, he was probably the first guy that I would go to if I ever had a question about anything that related to wrestling. Terry and, and his brother, Dory Funk Jr., again, two guys, they were both NWA world champions. But Dory Jr., you know, he, he had his own style. And, but the difference I would say is this Terry could wrestle like his brother. Or Terry could be the wildest, craziest orangutan you've ever seen. You know, and I, I think that's why he and Mick Foley got to be such good friends. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mick does all that crazy stuff. Yep. Uh, but, uh, no, I mean, Terry could do it all. Cut from the same cloth for sure, those two. Now, uh, Ted, you and I have uh, said before on the show here, uh, everybody's got a price. So what kind of a price would it take for you to do a barbed wire match? Or is it just, nope, we'll never do it? Uh, hmm. There's got to be some figure that would get you to uh, uh, say, well, okay. Uh, I'm <laughs> <laughs> never say never. I mean, you know, I, I, I've, I've got to live up to my own words. Everybody's got a stinking price. <laughs> I mean, I'm picturing somebody. Uh, you know, if you want to give me, uh, you know, uh, a quarter of a million dollars, I'll, 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 I'll do it. I said, what? That is a hell. Of a actually, I think I'd do it for less than that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny because my initial thought was like, yeah, I mean, if somebody offers me a million bucks, yeah, I'd do it. And then I was like, what if somebody offered me ten grand for a fifteen-minute match? It's like, who probably. I'd probably do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> it would be terrible. And hopefully they have some yeah. antiseptic yeah. backstage. But yeah. Uh, next up, we've got Andy Etzweiler, who asks, even though your entrance music is legendary, if you were able to pick your own entrance song from any recorded song in history, what would you change it to? Wow. Any recorded song. Mm. <laughs> and by the way, it doesn't have to go with the Million Dollar Man character, just like a song that would be cool for you to walk out to. Mm. You know, I've never really thought about that. That's an interesting one. And, you know, Ted, nowadays, Tony Khan, who runs AEW, uh, he's licensing a lot of music for his people to come out to. So, like, a lot of really popular songs have now become entrance themes for talents. So it's it's kind of becoming a thing in wrestling nowadays. So I'm guessing that's where this question came from. Wow. Yeah. Like, what kind, what kind of music do you like? I know you like Elvis. That's probably not great entrance I don't, music. You know, you know, I do. I love Elvis Presley, but I don't think that – I don't there's I don't think there's anything that's Elvis that would you know that would fit uh, like a you know in entrance music it would uh, you know so it would have to be something more heavy metal right uh, oh my gosh you know that's that's a you know what let's save that one yeah let's, let's save that one because like I, I really want to think about that because I've never thought of it that way I, you know it's like I, you know, I knew that uh, Jimmy Hart, you know, he, he's the guy that created all the, all the entrance music for, you know, for the guys, including me. Um, and originally, originally that the, the music that Hulk Hogan ended up coming out to mm -hmm. originally, I was told that, uh, Mike Rotunda and Barry Windham as a tag team had that music. The U S express. That makes sense. Yeah. I am a real American. Yeah. 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 How about that? They originally had it, but I don't know how Hulk, Hulk stole it from him. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it worked out pretty well for Hulk. And actually, yeah. you know, Jake had that really iconic entrance theme. And before Jake showed up, uh, or at least before he got the theme, there's a workout video of Hogan and Jake's theme was playing in the background during it before it became Jake's theme. So Hogan's kind of got his fingerprint. I'm surprised he didn't do something with the Million Dollar Man theme at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, it's I mean, it worked out pretty perfectly for you with that entrance music. I mean, you want to talk about iconic people reference it all the time. Yeah. Money, 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 money. <laughs> How do you hey, feel doing it? I, yeah, I, I sang it. You I was going to say, when I you were doing the voiceover. I didn't, you know, <laughs> I didn't sing. I mouthed it, of course. You were, you were talking in rise. Everybody's going to pay. <laughs> million dollar man always gets his way. Ah! You still got it, brother. Now, when you were doing that, as you're like in the studio, I assume in front of a microphone saying these lines, are you like, oh boy, this this song is going to be weird? But or or like right out of the gate, where you're like, okay, I get it. This is going to be awesome. Yeah. yeah. You you felt like you it was going to be great right out of the gate. Well, I well, I didn't know. I, I you know I I needed to I needed to I needed to like see it in action, see how the fans responded to it. So anyway. Well, Gotta give it up. It worked out very well. 
Yeah. Um, Roger Redding is up next. Why hasn't Virgil been inducted into the Hall of Fame? Ted, let me alter that one a little bit. Does Virgil belong in the WWE Hall of Fame? Uh, no. No, because, I mean, Virgil, uh, he was a ballet, period. Uh, you know, he, he never wrestled. Um, the only wrestling match he may have had was with with me. And that was, you know, uh, it was short-lived uh, because honestly, you know, he's a, he's a nice, nice enough guy. He just, he's just not that wrestling savvy. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I mean, the reason that they chose him to be that my ballet was basically because of his look, because he had that, you know, he'd stand there. I mean, and, and you know, the one thing I, I give to his credit and is the way he made he maintained that chiseled body you know for years if virgil could have had a real if he had any real wrestling ability i mean in terms of understanding of what we do i could have had i mean you know it's it's like for as long as he was like the valet and taking my crap you know, and, and then, you know, we finally did that thing where he bowed up and he, you know, you know, but and again, we could have, you know, if, if he'd have had any real wrestling talent, I mean, we could have had a really good program. Yeah. But he just, he just doesn't have it. Uh, all right, Ted, we'll do a few more and I'll let you go. Uh, Ryan Taylor is up next. Who is on your Mount Rushmore of pro wrestling heels? So top four, and uh, look, let's let's uh, narrow this down a little bit. It doesn't have to be like who you think are the greatest of all time. Just like you personally, who do you like uh, as pro wrestling heels? Pro wrestling heels, um, man. Well, I would probably put my father at the top of that list. Was your dad a heel? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's perfect. Iron Mike DiBiase. And... Uh, because he was my dad and because I learned just about everything I know by watching him, you know, and, and the way he carried himself as a, as a heel. Um, but I mean, there's, there, that's, that's a son, you know, putting over his dad. Sure. Uh, for sure. Um, um, <laughs> again, Terry Funk. Gotta be gotta be i mean terry funk i mean and again terry could go either way he could be the greatest baby face in the world i mean here's what you you understand um the end that's like the nwa world champion now the funks are both from texas amarillo texas so when they were world champions the only place that they were baby faces was in Texas and, you know, in the Amarillo territory where everybody knew them and knew they were from there. But in all the other territories, the world champion is a heel. And the reason is the world champion's a heel because when he comes to those different territories, they are going to put him against their top baby face. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the biggest draw. You know what I'm saying? Yes. You know, if you got a, a, a world champion coming in and 
and he's a baby face and you put him on against your, your biggest heel, well, you're just going to want to see him win. But when you bring a guy in and he's the world champion and he's a heel and he's going to go up against your number one baby face, that's what you're really pulling for because you want to see your number one guy beat the other guy. I mean, it's, it's just the way it worked. And, uh, and so the only, the only place that you were ever, a uh, baby face as a world champion would be in your home territory. And for the funks, that would have been Amarillo. And Terry as a, uh, as a traveling heel champion, I mean, iconic, oh. iconic stuff. I got to imagine, uh, Harley race is on your Mount Rushmore as well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just incredible uh, heel. Incredible heel. And, uh, same thing there. I mean, uh, his home territory was Kansas City. You know, he and, and uh, Bob Geigel and I think Pat O'Connor were partners in the, what was then called the Kansas City Territory back in the territory era. And again, the only place that Harley was a baby face was in Kansas City. And that, and that, uh, that, and that's, it, it worked the same way there. But yeah, definitely on top of my list as, as one of the best. Um, one more for that Mount Rushmore to be completed. Man. <laughs> man, man, man. Um, there's so many guys. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's kind of like I think about like my you know, my tag team partner in Japan, Stan Hansen. Oh, great one. Stan was, you know, I mean, he was, you know, he was, and, and Bruiser Brody. Yep. You know, here's another guy who was a, you know, a tremendous heel. Um, All right. So we now we have to make five spots on the Mount Rushmore so we can add Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody. I think that works. <laughs> 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 okay. Uh, okay. Colonel Buck Robley. That is not one I was expecting. Buck Robley. Buck Robley was a one heck of a heel. I mean, uh, I mean, he could, do, you know, again, he's another guy who could, who could do it all, but uh, I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's pushing it a little bit. No, but, hey, look, this is your Mount Rushmore of heels. Yeah, so I mean, Buck Robley's on there. He's on there. Yeah, a lot of the guys, like the guys we've mentioned are all guys that in, had influence in my, the development of my, me as, as, as a wrestler. Mm -hmm. you know, Harley race, you know, the funks, you know, those guys, um, you know, that was, those guys were the biggest influence on me. And of course my dad. So great ones. No, that's, I think that's perfect for your personal Mount Rushmore. I think it's different for everybody. Yeah. Um, Ted, let's do one more and I will let you go. We've got Jay Lee, 1980 who asks, and actually you and I had talked about this a little bit before we hit record. What happened to your tuxedos? Those need to be part of A&E Lost Treasures and put on display. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I think I have one left. And the one I have that's left is it's, it's, it's white with gold trim. And I think I only, I actually only wore it a couple of times. And I think that was in, uh, uh, award in Europe, I think is when I, when I went over there, when we did, when we, when we wrestled in Wembley stadium is I think it's where I debuted that thing. Now I had a, I had a black and gold one. I had a silver one with the 
trim. Uh, I had a green one and I had the black one and I had that and, and, and the, and the white one. And, uh, I have one left. The others, uh, quite frankly, I gave to charities to raise money for, for special causes. So that's, that's where they went. That's a good reason not to have them anymore. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, I, I thought about having one, you know, you know, I, I don't know if that lady that, uh, you know, my, why, my, my wife found a seamstress oh. locally that would make those for me. And uh, I don't know if she's still around. I thought about having another one made, but uh, if, if she had it made, I couldn't get in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'm a little bigger than I am. Yeah. If you could ever make it a little bigger, let me tell you, that could be really good stuff for your autograph signings. You're there in one of those old tuxedos. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, look, I, I think that that white one that you still have in your possession, if I remember right, I think you wore that at WrestleMania 9 as well. So uh, pretty iconic uh, tuxedo. You know, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Yep. That was out in, uh, was that Vegas? Yes. Yeah. That was outdoor, an outdoor show. So that thing is never recovered. It's still covered in sweat. <laughs> <laughs> Vegas outdoors and like whatever it is, April. I'm sure you were roasting in that thing. <laughs> wow. Well, hey, uh, that's awesome that you still got it in your possession, man. It's that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, a true piece of wrestling history you've got there. That's awesome. Um, and I think that what we're doing here is awesome, Ted. Another awesome edition of Ask Ted Anything is in the books here. Next week, you heard it, folks. Uh, we're returning to October 1996. Uh, this is actually, th this will be our final episode for the month of October. So we got to close it out in style. We're looking back to your time in WCW again to continue that story. And uh, if you folks out there have a question, please go ahead and fire it over to us on social media. We're at Ted DiBiase pod on all social media platforms. Also, before we go, I wanted to remind you all that if you'd like to get this podcast earlier with no commercials and get access to a ton of sports, entertainment and other shows, get over to premierstreamingnetwork.com. Sign up for Premier Plus. RVD has a podcast here with my brother. Uh, Efren does the game event. There's so much stuff over there. If you're a wrestling fan, you are going to love it. Uh, again, it's premierstreamingnetwork.com. Sign up for Premier Plus today. If you're enjoying our show and you're listening on your podcast app, please take a moment to like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review because that helps us. And, guys, we'll be back next week. But in the meantime, we would love to have you follow us and interact with us on social media. You can follow Ted at MDMTedDBossi on his social Follow me at Marcus P. D'Angelo on X and follow Premier Streaming Network at Watch on Premier on X and at Premier Streaming Network on Instagram and Facebook. Ted, I love doing these Ask Ted Anythings. You just never know what we're going to be yeah. asked, yeah. whether it's whether it's about your tuxedos or it, whether or not you put on baby oil. We hear all of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, no. Nobody's ever asked me to put baby oil on them. <laughs> well, I'm glad we know the answer now. You know, if I, you know what I would have done? I would have said, see Virgil. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it, it's his role. He's your servant or whatever. It's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Oh, right. man. Hilarious. And uh, this was a real blast, man. Thank you so much. You bet, man. And as I go, I must remind everybody that everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. See you guys next time right here on Everybody's Got a Pod.